All right. Hello. Welcome. How is everybody? Awesome. Rocking. Um, so something about me, my name is Leonora Tegatil. Something about me is that I have a really bad habit of prejudging things. Yes, it is true. For instance, there are a couple people in this room that I did not like the first time I met you. And then when I got to know you, I really liked you. No, it's true. I won't say names. Also, similar with bands. Like when I hear a song, I'm like, oh, that band gets on my nerves. And then it's the song that I always hear, and I'm like, I love this song. So just to preface that, because when Ben Mercer said um, to staff, we are going to be studying the life of Samuel in Leonore fashion, I was like, uh, what's this about? I don't know. Is it going to be good? I don't even know much about the life of Samuel. And I wasn't really going with it, you know. But that's so my style because, I will be honest, this has been one of my favorite sermon series Scum of the Earth has ever done. And that says a lot because I've been going here for 14 years and heard a lot of sermon series. Um, It's interesting because Ben really felt that the Lord was pressing him to do the life of Samuel because he thought that there were going to be messages that would bless all of you and all of us and me. Um, Before that, we had done 1 Peter. And there's a big difference for those of us who preach when we're preaching from the New Testament as opposed to the Old Testament. New Testament, it's letters. It's kind of easy. It's it's easier. It's nice. It's got nice little, basically it's a letter saying you should do this. So when we're getting to the you should do, it's very laid out. Nice. Easy. But with the Old Testament, this is, um, you're preaching from story. You're preaching from weird, strange verses about people not eating honeycomb even though they're hungry. You're having to look at history. You're having to look at maps. You're having to look at context a lot more, or a lot differently, I guess I would say, than in the New Testament. The application is not necessarily as spelled out. So that's kind of why I was like, oh, I don't know about the life of Samuel. Um, So why do you think it would be beneficial for our church to learn from story and to learn from a man, Samuel, essentially, who lived so long ago and has maybe not much in common with your young adult lives living in 2014 in Denver, Colorado. Um, So why have so many of us on staff been so pumped? And I've heard from so many of you in conversations that you're really digging on this sermon series. Why do you think that is? Awkward pause. Some people might say it's because Mike Sayers is on sabbatical. Edit, whoever's doing the podcast. No, that is not why. It's not because Mike Sayers is not here. I would have honestly liked to have heard what our head pastor, Mike Sayers, would have said about some of these um, verses. But an interesting thing about Mike being gone is that so many of us have gotten to preach that haven't normally gotten to preach as much. For instance, Kathy Pence gave her first sermon a couple weeks ago. Yeah, she did a great job. And Christy Spitzer will be giving her uh, first sermon next week. Yeah, awesome. So for a lot of us who haven't gotten to preach very often, this is kind of new and you get to hear from other perspectives. Um, But honestly, I'm going to cue you into something that's happening behind the scenes that you may not have known about. So for years and years, we had what was called a preaching team. Those of us on staff who would give the sermon would meet at the Breakfast King, a wonderfully greasy, distracting place with the Bible, to talk about our sermons. And that preaching team, the core people who would preach, would, you know, mull over what the verses are saying, the context, the background, and then how we want to, you know, maneuver and manipulate your minds to come to the same place that we're going to get in our application, right? Um, Not really. But so now what was decided in the past year is that we would take that preaching team and instead move it 
to be a Bible study that happened during staff meetings. So now instead of having a preaching team and a staff meeting, during our staff meeting, we bring, we bring out our Bibles, and together we just have a very organic, natural Bible study. And this is comprised of men and women, some who do not preach. And the cool thing about that is that our sermon then is informed by the lesson that we all learn and by what we all back up together. And so the culmination of the life of Samuel as a preaching series has been very pertinent to what we're doing in our lives and what's, what we're struggling with or what's going on or what God is pressing on us because we're hearing from a lot of different men and women that meet every week with all of you in your small groups, at their house, one-on-one, all the conversations that you guys are pouring into the staff, and therefore the staff is dissecting it and coming up with these ideas. Um, So when Ben came out with The Life of Samuel, he came out with an awesome, awesome outline for chunks of verses everyone was going to preach on, and now it's my turn, and I get a verse. (laughs) It's not bad, but it is one verse. Okay, so 1 Samuel 25, New American Standard, is what I'm going to read from. I really do, just get one verse. So before I unpack the 31 words I'm going to unpack, let's pray and then I'll unpack them. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, so much for tonight. Thank you for every person who's here. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be um, honored and glorified. And I pray that if there's anything you'd want me to add, you would let me know. Um, Yeah, and continue in the next couple weeks as we keep learning from the life of your beloved Samuel that you would keep pressing in on us, Father God, through this example. We love you. Amen. So 1 Samuel 25, New American Standard says, should be behind me. There it is. Then Samuel died, and all Israel gathered together and mourned for him and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Well, that's it. That's all I have to say. Just kidding. (laughs) When Samuel was born... It was a deep, dark place in Israel. I don't know if any of you were here when I mentioned this, but back in the day I had a student Bible, and there was a little section and little insert that said, Israel was in chaos. Everyone did what was right in their own mind. And I wrote a big anarchy symbol in it in red marker. And I know not all anarchists are violent or, you know, crazy wild, but for me that picture of Israel was that different tribes were warring with each other. They did not have one king to oversee them, though they wanted that. They did not have a judge at that time, and they did not have um, the, the obedience to trust God to be their leader as he had wanted to. So since they had chosen to take God out of the picture, they were at war with each other. And here is Hannah, this barren woman, who longs for a child, longs for a son to give to her, to bless her husband Elkanah with. And Elkanah is a very faithful man. And so every year they go to pray. And every year, year after year after year, no baby. And when the baby comes, Hannah is a faithful woman. And she leaves her child there after he's weaned, after he's about four years old, to be raised by Eli. She has a lot of faith. So right off the beginning, we see Samuel's life. And these are Samuel's greatest hits. Samuel's life beginning with the faith of his mother. Hannah chooses to trust God more then she fears what's going to happen to her child as she leaves him there. She trusts God. She honors God. She says, God, you gave me this baby, so I'm entrusting him back to you. And even though Eli's sons are fallen and blasphemous, bad, corrupt guys, sons of the priest, she trusts that God is going to take care of him. That's a lot of faith. And that also, that's Elkanah's faith, too. As a, as a father and as a leader, he submits to the vision that his wife had. And he doesn't say it's going to be top-down. If you remember, I preached on this, and this is one of the things that we learned about, was that 
leadership is not always saying, I have to hear from the Lord first, especially in a marriage. It was a beautiful thing of submission. You see Elkanah saying, I believe that you heard from the Lord and Hannah entrusting her son back. So right off the bat, we see that Samuel's going to be raised in a different way. So Samuel's a little boy hanging out and he hears someone call to him three different times. And each time he thinks it's Eli, but really it's the Lord. And eventually he finds out it is the Lord. And it makes me think, how many times do we stop and say, you know, I think God really does talk to children. And, and then Samuel came and talked to Eli and told Eli this prophecy of something that was going to happen to him in his life. And it makes me think, how many times in my life, especially before I had kids, did I ever find myself saying, you know, the Lord really used that child to speak into my life. How many of you really believe that there was a time when you were a child that God spoke to you? I know for me, yeah. Right. God speaks to kids all the time. And yet, do we allow space and conversation to hear these children? I Honestly, like I'm a parent, I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, and I, from these kind of um, examples, I'm remembering that it is so important to have spiritual conversations and space for that, because so often the Lord is speaking to the children of this church for this community. And if we don't give it space, we may miss out on something. Um, and sometimes it's not even with words, right? So God can speak to us in an unlikely place, and through unlikely people. So meanwhile, Samuel continues to grow in stature and favor with the Lord and with people. That was said in 1 Samuel 2, 26. And I really like that because a lot of time we have these spiritual leaders, but people don't like them. Have you ever noticed that? The most spiritual people that claim that God likes them, most of us don't like. I don't know if you guys ever noticed that. Like, oh, that guy's kind of uppity here. They're kind of legalistic. Sometimes that can happen. People can get this title of spirituality that makes them unlikable. And I know for me, I want to be liked, but how cool for Samuel to be like, nah, people like me. They really do like me. And that's why, as we see in this verse, people mourned him from all over. But I think they liked him because he didn't put his fear in people. I think that one of the main themes about Samuel is that he chose to trust in God, just like his mother and father, more than he feared what people thought about him. He's working so hard at not caring about if he's liked that he's liked. Isn't that the thing? The cool kids who don't think they're cool are always cool. Someone told me that reason. They're like, well, I started getting really cool when I stopped trying. Well, yeah, come on. Everyone knows that. Every, the dorks are the cool ones. Everyone knows that. Right, so Samuel becomes a prophet in his young age. And then in 1 Samuel three nineteen through 20, we learn that all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet. When God gives us something to say, are we afraid to share it, whether it's bad news or good news? I know for me, there are times when I drag my feet, especially when it's bad news, when I have a word from the Lord. You know, those times where you're like, I think God is telling me to do something. I've seen this person struggle, and I really feel that the Holy Spirit is pressing on me to say something in love, but uh, I can't do that. I can't do that. Awkward. It's uncomfortable. It makes you look like a weirdo sometimes. Um, Speaking of weirdos, there was this guy in this band I was in named Reese Roper, and he was very charismatic, and he often heard from the Lord. But he wasn't always right in what he heard from. So one time it was after a show, we were playing with a secular band, and we're at Denny's, and he decides to sit their whole band at Denny's and our whole band at Denny's, and he says, guys, I've heard from the Lord, and today is the day of all of your salvation. And one of our guys in our band is, like, stirring his coffee and just looking down, and all of a sudden getting red in the face, like, ugh, 
how awkward. And one of the guys in the, the band, the lead singer of the other band was like, you know what, dude? I don't think so, but thanks. Let's just hang out. And that was that. And Reese could have freaked out. He could have said, no, dude, I heard from the Lord, and today is the day. And could have kept pressing it and making it awkward, but he didn't. Um, Or we could have, like, just left that conversation embarrassed. But honestly, sometimes it takes going out on a limb. And, and, and sometimes there's strong impressions that we find, and we're just not quite sure. I had to do that one time when I was a little kid, and I really don't know the outcome, guys. This is really weird, but when I was little one time, I felt that the Lord was telling me to tell a couple who'd been trying to have a kid for a long time that they were going to have a son. And I was like maybe 14, and I was very, it was my youth pastors, and I was very nervous. I was like, God, why do you want me to do that? That's really going out on a limb. And I just did it one day after youth group. I was like, I think the Lord is telling me you're going to have a son. And years later, they adopted a son. Now, is that a self-fulfilled prophecy? I don't know. I don't know what the outcome of that is, but I was obedient to do it. That's all I know. Sometimes we know it's God's voice because it's really strange. Right, Larry? Right, right. (laughs) I know, we have a church called Scum of the Earth, guys. Um, I think it's a challenge for those of us who feel called by God to be ministers and pastors and mentors and preachers and teachers and worship leaders to use our gifts because we're scared to be on a pedestal. And I'm sure it was scary for Samuel. I'm sure it is. It's scary to be on a pedestal for quite a few reasons. One, because it says all over the Bible that if you blow it, you really blow it. That that's bad. That's big. You're judged twice as harshly, but not only that, when people start to put you on a pedestal, you start to act like you deserve to be on a pedestal. You don't want to be a jerk. You're going into ministry or worship leading or caring or serving because you want to do something out of the goodness of your heart for the Lord, for Jesus. And yet those acts become an idol. And sometimes you can become an idol so often. Um, And it's not always popular to share our gifts with other people when they're putting us on this pedestal and when they're waiting for us to fall sometimes. Sometimes it feels like people put us on a pedestal and then laugh as they blow up the base. Just setting you up to fail. Um, Could it be that we feel uncomfortable because we don't want to be in a point of leadership because we don't want to look like we're judging people? Well, I don't want to step out and mentor because I feel uncomfortable telling people that they need to change the way they're living. I just don't want to judge them. I don't want to judge. We don't want to be like Samuel. We don't want to be a judge. It feels uncomfortable. Can we hide behind the excuse of I don't want to judge them? Um, Because what we really mean is I'm afraid to be held accountable to walk with them through their lives as they change. Could it be ruling ourselves out of responsibility by saying, I don't want to judge, so therefore I have no responsibility. I don't have to walk with this person. I can just say that's way too difficult. I don't want to judge you. Back in the day, there used to be a phrase of, well, let me share a prayer request. And that kind of meant, let me give you some good gossip. And now the thing is, you know, I don't want to judge. Basically, I don't want to get my, I don't want to get dirty, especially going to scum of the earth. If you're going to walk alongside men and women, you're going to get your heart broken. It is going to be challenging. It is going to be difficult. It is going to be painful. It is going to cost money. It is going to cost time. And saying I don't want to judge them can be an easy wall. But it's not judging if we're trying to lead each other to be Christ-like. That's our calling. The other unfortunate byproduct of being on a pedestal and being in a place of leadership is that um, people compare themselves to you. It'd be really easy for me to say, man, Mike really screwed up in this area. Therefore, if he can't do it, of course, I don't have to do it. 
If Mike Sayers can't get his crap together, how can I? That's pretty lame, but it happens. It really does happen to say, you know, that spiritual leader fell. How could I do any different? I'm not like that spiritual leader. And and the the comparison keeps us from really achieving what it is to be wholly saved and also wholly forgiven. These people that are in your lives to walk alongside you, yeah, of course they're screwed up. They need us they need a savior in Jesus too. So please give them a little bit of grace too. Um, So back to Samuel, he didn't only share the bummer news. He kept pressing on and challenging and encouraging and being and stepping into the judge he was called to be. He didn't shirk away from that responsibility. And he kept giving a message of repentance and of having faith and being fully devoted onto God. Fully, fully devoted. And later, one of the greatest hit things, he anointed Saul as the king. Even though Samuel did not feel comfortable with it, and when the people asked for a king, he's like, dude, do you know what you're asking for? Your sons and daughters are going to be slaves forever. Once you get a king, you can't get rid of a king because his son's going to want to be king, and his son's going to be want a king, and his son. And now God is not going to be your king, and it's going to be bad news. But you want it? Fine. And instead of at the day when Saul was appointed, instead of saying, why did you choose him over me and being jealous or saying, I'm having nothing to do with it, He prayed and he pressed on in humility and trust in God again. Because ultimately, God allowed Saul to be the king. So when God allowed Saul to be the king, Samuel could just throw his arms up and say, God, what are you doing? No, 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 no. He is so faithful that he sees the big picture and recognizes that he has to have prayer and humility. Although, dun, 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 we learn that this is not the person that's supposed to be the king. David is supposed to be the, the king, right? So later, for this is kind of weird, but you can go back and study all of the other sermons. He has to line up all these sons of Jesse at Jesse's house, Samuel. And I really like this part because it makes him human like us. He doesn't do a perfect job. He screws up. Samuel uses his eyes to see, and he sees these handsome warrior-looking guys, and he's like, that's the king. And God's like, no, wait, wait, wait. That's the, wait, wait, that's... No, he has to wait till the shepherd boy comes in, David. And it's so cool. Once again, he has the humility. Once again, he doesn't freak out and say, but I chose somebody. Therefore, do it my way. Um, But he recognizes that God is faithful to him. It encourages me that Samuel messed up in this area. Because so often, it's easy to get on this pedestal and think we're going to get it right the first time. But it's nice to have grace with ourselves, too. For instance, um, just giving you a little bit of idea of my spiritual eyes, they were like super teeny, teeny, tiny when Scum of the Earth started. I remember being in Mike Sayers' house with Deva and a few other people, sitting on this wonderful couch with Mary and Mike Sayers, and Mike is plotting out Scum of the Earth Church, and I'm thinking, it will never happen. This is not going to happen. We're in our 20s. We don't have degrees. We don't have money. People don't like us and don't want us to come to their church. So why is this going to work? And seriously... I had no faith in God. I had more fear of the church telling us that we didn't have the appropriate means to make a church. I was scared, super scared. I still hung in there because I love Mike and Mary, and obviously God was doing something in me. But I had a lot of fear at that time and not very much faith, which is, honestly, that's encouraging to me now because if I didn't know then that God was going to do this now. And honestly, I met my husband at Scum, and I'm almost married 10 years, so I'm stoked. 
Um, if I didn't see all this happening, I wouldn't be the kind of person that believes in massive things. Sometimes I think I'm desensitized to craziness because someone says, oh, man, I got this idea. And I'm like, do it, do it, do it, do it. It can happen. Yes. And they're like, why do you think that? And I'm like, because I go to a church called Scum of the Earth that's been happening for 14 years. And because I've done, not I, God has done all these insane things. I mean, this building, people going to Scotland, bigger and better things and bigger and better relationships than I could have hoped for. Relationships with men and women. I didn't know I had a Tyson hole in my heart until I met Tyson. I didn't know I had a Dave hole in my heart until I met David. But God knew. Like, it's bigger and better than what we hope to dream for because God is bigger and better. He's extravagant, right? Um, God is faithful to lead Samuel to become the person that he wants. And Samuel is not too proud to roll with the punches along the line. How different would the Bible have been if Samuel would have said, and if we would have seen in the Bible, God, I'm tired of following you. I can't believe in you because the nation that I came to was fallen. I can't believe in you because my mom left me with these weirdos who were fallen to be raised in the temple without my mother and father. I can't believe in you, God, because the guy you appointed to be king is a total loser and doesn't pray. I can't believe in you, God, because your people are so fallen time and time again. I can't, I just throw up my arms because I don't believe like they believe. I have nothing to do with them. I'm going out into the wilderness. Screw your people. I'm done. And how many times do we hear Christians use that same speech because they're so heartbroken that other followers, brothers and sisters of Christ, do not believe and behave the same way they do or believe and behave to their expectation of what God should believe and behave like. And ultimately, is this not really saying How can I trust in a God that allows horrible things to be done under his name? And yet there's a big difference between God allowing it and God condoning it. Once again, sometimes God allows things that he does not condone. And this is nothing new. Christians, followers of Christ, even in the Old Testament before there was Christ, even when they were followers of God, even when they were Israelites, have always had to say, I am still part of the chosen people. I am still part of it, even though people are sinners, even though people are going across and contrary to what I believe. Think of people, think of Christians during the Crusades, during the Great Inquisition, during times of slavery, during times of complete female inequality. And and still now there's just different titles for the same persecution. There's different people that Christians pick on, different agendas, but it doesn't give us the right to bash them on the internet. It doesn't give us the right to Well, I don't want to say it doesn't give us the right, but it's scary and it's sad that so oftentimes I see people so dejected and so confused by what it means to follow Christ because they're so discouraged by men and women who call themselves Christians that are doing things that are contrary to what they think God would do. And that doesn't mean that these people might not be Christians. That's the problem. The problem is that it's easy to get on a pedestal and push our agenda. And and the problem is that we want to stop having the conversation instead of change what the conversation looks like. I talked to someone today and he's like, he's all about, you know, saving the earth, David Rapp. He's all about environmentalism. And he's like, yeah, but I had this conversation so many times with Christians who don't care about the earth. And I feel like I'm trying to knock on a door that won't be opened. 
And I was like, I get it, dude. And, you know, we encourage each other. And I said, maybe the thing is, David, and you know this, it's not so much about knocking and knocking and knocking to your hands bleeding and trying to force the conversation. Maybe your gift is doing good elsewhere in the world because those people aren't going to notice anyway. Maybe sometimes the answer is to worship and praise God despite what we see and hear all the time that seems discouraging. Worship can be a beautiful, beautiful expression and place to let go of some of that discouragement because God wants to meet us there. Um, I know, I know it's a challenge because it becomes so polarized, especially on the internet to see what people believe and to be like, but I'm not a Christian like them, but I'm not a Christian like them. And we can make our view of Christianity so narrow and it gets really challenging, but I encourage us to be like Samuel. I encourage us. He didn't just throw up his hands and say, my people are so screwed up. Forget it. That's not the point. The point is to pray, pray, press in and, and have a bigger picture, a point of view, and to have relationships that are messy anyway. Anyway, recognizing that we need a Savior. God knows that we long to worship him and to know him, and he's sending his Holy Spirit here to help us. He will, God, God, not us, he will lift up the humble. So that is my encouragement for you tonight. Thanks.